0: thing to do isn't to punch them isn't to talk to them there's only one way you get respect and that's by looking somebody in the eye for 60 minutes go out there hitch up your child and say hey baby here I am now let me see you run through me now let me see you show some disrespect for me while I'm nose on your nose let me see what you think of me now that my face is to you we talk about respect we're talking about respect around the country there's one thing that we want more than anything else and that's respect you guys ready yet this is the show we've all been waiting for it's game week let's get it Right. This is it, guys. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is what we've been building towards all summer, all winter, all spring. This is it. It's here. We're ready to talk about an actual game. Let's hit this. Let's get the propers out of the way quickly. We have a lot to cover today, and I couldn't be more excited. Obviously, Always Irish is the YouTube channel. Thank you for subscribing, commenting, clicking notifications, and uh, all the engagement's been fantastic. So we're steadily growing. I appreciate it. iTunes, Always Irish, Stitcher, Google Play, all those places you can find us. Like, subscribe, share, comment, hate, review, whatever you want to do. I don't care. I just like the engagement it is time to get serious. We are finally talking about real actual football. I am sick and tired of everybody just running their mouths, talking about who's what, who's this, who's that before anybody's played anything. Everybody's sick and tired of it. It is time to just see what happens on the field. Ball don't lie. It is time to see who is what and what is what by what happens on the field instead of everybody running their mouths and talking. And that includes me. I'm sick of doing it too. We need real results. Not Florida-Miami garbage game. We need real results. I mean, I know that was a real game, but it was bad football. I don't care what you say. That's bad football. But we will get to that later. Here's what we're going to do today. Okay. Now, the format in the summer is different. You're, you're trying to pull out topics, find relevant things to talk about. You got idle time to kill. This is different because now we need to talk about what to expect from Louisville, what I want to see from Louisville. So so we're going to flip the script here. and And I have a few general bullet point notes. We're going to do that at the end of the show. My priority today is going to be talking about Louisville, what I've kind of gathered about Louisville after researching it and looking into it a little bit, and then I want to get into kind of a just a really basic 10 things I'm looking for in this game, specifically from Notre Dame. Five on offense, five on defense, and special teams is it's in its own universe of concern, so it's not even on my list. So we're gonna, that isn't even on the 10 things. I got five offense, five defense, and then the whole world of my special team's concern is a separate entity. So that's gonna be the format today. Going over what I've learned about Louisville, what to expect, what I'm wanting to see out of this game. And then at the back end, we'll hit some other general football to- college football topics. So that's what we're gonna do. Strap it in. It is game week. So let's go. Let's hit on two notes um, before we get started. Some news updates notes. One of them's an injury update. One of them's somebody in the doghouse that's still in the doghouse, and it's a deeper doghouse than I thought. So let's get that going. First off, Cole Komet's already out there catching passes. So he must be a cyborg quick healer. Um How dare somebody call me in the middle of this show? We're finally talking about a game and I got people trying to call me. I don't get time for this. Sorry about that. Okay, as I was saying, Cole Komet must be a cyborg because he's already out there catching passes with no sling on or whatever. So I know they're not gonna push him to return faster than whatever, but that's a timetable faster than what I thought. Now what's interesting is, Some people are speculating that Michael Young's recovery is going to take longer and he doesn't heal as quick as Komet. I don't know how all that stuff works. I'm clearly not a medical doctor, if you couldn't tell, but that's a good sign that Cole Komet's out there with range and he's doing all that stuff. So that's something on the positive. On the flip side, it comes out that Kevin Austin's out for the year. Now, what I'm unclear about is I don't know if something else has happened that has extended this suspension or if this is just the residual from the original offense that I don't know, but it came out today that he's out for the year. I don't want to be insensitive here, but that's out. You're out of sight, out of mind now. Cause I can't count on you. You're in the doghouse. You're not coming back for Georgia. All that stuff we were hoping for receiver depth is now a bigger concern to me than it was with this. Now that we have this news, but I, we don't have the time to worry about guys that aren't going to help us. So as far as I'm concerned, you're out of sight, out of mind. Um, if I find out any other information, uh, I'll let you guys know. But that's what I've heard today, this afternoon. Um, this is Monday afternoon. So he's out of sight, out of mind. Can't count on him. He's out. Uh, it's just a shame. Guys like Stefferson, guys like Austin, those are guys that we could use. And and they're, they got in trouble, they're, they're not going to be a part of it. So out of sight, out of mind. So let's move on from that. So, here's the deal, okay? I wanted to get into some Louisville prep. And so what I started doing was started researching, you know, some of the the beat writers, you know, like Notre Dame has these websites that follow them, guys that are in tune and to what's going on in the program. And and what I stumbled upon doing this Louisville research was kind of one of those deals Notre Dame does it too, one of these websites where they interview and ask you know four or five beat writers these questions about the upcoming season and and then document all of their answers to these questions. And I found it really really interesting because a lot of the times with the Notre Dame stuff when they do this, the answers are pretty consistent, and most of these writers all key on the same stuff. You know what are you most excited about? What are you worried about? What do you think is going to happen? Most of Notre Dame people fall in line pretty uniformly as far as their concerns or what they're excited to see, so on and so forth. I didn't really find that from the Louisville angle, which I found very, very interesting. But a lot of these, these people that are in tune to the program had very different responses to the same questions that were being asked of them about this team. And I think what that is indicative of, is a program that's just to- just in the infancy stages of rebuilding. And I think it's super interesting to see all the different perspectives because there's so many unknowns. As Bobby Petrino burned it to the ground like only he could specialize in doing, and, and now they got to totally rebuild from scratch. Now let's get this out of the way right away. I think Satterfield is going to do well at Louisville. Uh, I think he's a stand-up guy. Everybody knows what the, what kind of program Appalachian State was under him. So I think he's a good program developer and, and all that stuff. Trust me, Notre Dame fans know. It just takes time to rebuild from a total dumpster fire. I mean, the only thing missing from, from this latest Petrino dumpster fire is his Girlfriend riding on the back of the motorcycle, and then he wipes out. Okay, like that's the only thing, that's the only thing missing from this. He did what he did. Go in there, flame out, has some really high highs, and then it all falls apart. And then he skips town and leaves the garbage for the next guy to come in and clean up. Typical Bobby Petrino. It is what it is. So Satterfield has has inherited this total dumpster fire to the point where. A lot of what he was saying early in the spring, a lot of his press conferences and stuff, we're going back to basics. And I'm, when I say basics, I'm talking about attitude. I'm talking about effort. I'm talking about you know, camaraderie. I'm talking about, like those are the things Satterfield was talking about, the priority, right? So like before you get into X's and O's, you got to clean up your house. And, and it's so remedial from how bad it was in the 2-10 and ten season last year. He's starting from scratch, just trying to get attitudes right, trying to get the team on the same page, trying to get them to, to try hard. I mean, it sounds like, listen, sorry, but I don't make a habit of watching a lot of Louisville football. I just don't. But there's talk of them just laying down and giving up in half the games last year. And so they are starting from scratch this total rebuild. And that's hard to do and it takes time. And that should totally play in Notre Dame's favor. Okay, Now what you have here are opposite ends of the spectrum. You have Satterfield trying to rebuild this program from a 2-10 embarrassing dumpster fire. And then you have Brian Kelly, almost a decade on the job here, who's getting to the final stages of this latest rebuild, which is refinement, fine-tuning, quality depth, adding some top-line stars, getting a great staff around him, ready to compete for the playoff every damn year. So you have two programs that are totally on opposite ends of the rebuilding structure right now. And I feel Louisville fans' pain. This is a lot of what we went through. Even the interesting thing is Brian Kelly was rebuilding from his own dumpster fire. At least Satterfield could say the dumpster fire wasn't my fault. Brian Kelly's still trying to dig out from the one he created and that he allowed. And so that rubs me the wrong way, but but I digress. You end up with this dichotomy, these two programs at opposite ends of the rebuilding structure. And what that means is, Notre Dame's finally should be in the position to take advantage of somebody else trying to do this instead of everybody else picking on us trying to do it. Okay. So that's where we need to start from. Just two totally different programs in totally different worlds in terms of program development. That is where we're starting from here. So I believe in Satterfield. I think he'll get it going. I've listened to some of his press conferences. I like the way he talks. He seems like a nice, respectable guy. Um, He has the track record at App State, which everybody's aware of. This just takes time. And so if Notre Dame is where we all hope and think they are, you need to jump all over this, take advantage of it, and just blow blow them out. That, that's the bottom line. I don't care what anybody else says. I believe the line started at 20, 19 and a half. Notre Dame is a favorite, whatever. You need to cover that. If you think you are where you think you are, you should do that. Okay? That, that's just, that is not any disrespect to Louisville or disrespect to their players or whatever. I'm just calling it as it is. They were 2-10 and ten last year, burn it to the ground, and are totally starting from scratch. A team that has playoff aspirations needs to jump all over that, take advantage of it. Nobody felt bad for Notre Dame when we were rebuilding. They piled it on. It took everything they could get. It's time for us to do that to somebody else. So that's my expectation. If you don't cover this spread at a minimum, cover this spread. We got problems, and this show's not going to be pretty next week. It's time to take the next step, and the next step, we're not too Georgia yet. The next step for this game is to take advantage of a program that's totally rebuilding from scratch and pound the hell out of them all damn night. No, I'm not talking about getting up and then towards the end of the third quarter, you just start running the ball and not trying to do anything. That's not what I want to see. You know why? You have to find out what you have in Phil Jerkovic as many snaps as you can. And it's not going to help Phil's development or this program's development for him to get game time where all he does is hand the ball off. I don't want to see that. I want to see Phil out there with a real playbook So we can see what we have so he starts playing in games in meaningful game time, not garbage snaps. So I'm sorry if Louisville has to be the sacrificial lamb who takes the end of that brunt, but I got to see Phil getting real game time here, not garbage time. I need to see him running actual plays from the playbook. We need to see that. That's the next step for Notre Dame. If you think you are where you are where Brian Kelly thinks they are, where the staff thinks they are, where the players think they are. If you are anywhere in that ballpark as a program, that's what needs to happen. If it doesn't, you know it ain't going to be pretty. It ain't going to be pretty. But the, the, the matchups here just don't line up for this game to be close. This is no disrespect to Louisville. It's just where they are as a program versus where we are as a program. In terms of top depth, in terms of proven playmakers, in terms of a a coaching staff with some continuity who's been together a couple years, I'm talking about all that stuff. Attitude, comfort with each other, the whole thing screams to me this game shouldn't be close. Now, make no mistake about it though, doing the research I did on Louisville, they have some speed and they have some talent in certain areas. It sounds like depth is a huge concern, but there's enough speed and talent still around that program that if Notre Dame goes there Monday night and starts kicking the ball around and doing stupid stuff, this could be one of those things where you sweat it out. And I'm not in the mood for that. We have to be past that. You have to be past that. This, is, this cannot be Vanderbilt. This cannot be Pitt. This cannot be Ball State from last year. The page needs to be turned. The corner needs to be turned to where we take advantage of these lesser teams that are rebuilding. Blow them the hell out. Anything short of covering this spread of about 20 would be a disappointment to me because you know what? The gauge is, and I don't want to hear this. Don't come at me with this. Oh, it's week one. You just need to get by. Blah, blah, blah. That's bad. If you think you're a playoff contender, you need to come ready to play week one, jump all over a team that was two and 10 last year and is totally rebuilding from scratch and blow them out. Don't come to me. I'm not here for that. We just need to find a way to win week one. I am not here for that. Not this year. That cannot be where we're starting from. It can't be. This is a program that is trying to compete for another playoff berth, not to go six and six, seven and five and make it to the Russell Athletic Potato Pinstripe Bowl or whatever else you want to throw at me. The bar has been raised, okay? It's no longer good enough to just barely skate by these garbage teams. Go out there and get it done. Come ready and take advantage of a program that isn't as far along as you are. That's what I expect. Nothing less. And I I totally mean what I said about Phil. This is one of those instances where you might need a sacrificial lamb program, but it's you against everybody else. You can't have a nice heart and feel bad for people. We need to see what Phil can do if something happens to Ian Book or so we know what we have next year. He needs meaningful game snaps in the regular offense. So get ahead by a bunch and then let's see what this kid can do let him air the ball out. Let's see it. So that's what I'm expecting to see in this ball game. And anything less, and I'm going to have a problem. You need to come out ready and do your job. So when I did this research and saw these reporters answering these questions, like like for instance, what are you most excited for to, to look forward to this season for Louisville? They were responding with things like competency from the coaching staff, uh, you know, just looking like a normal team, uh, effort, just showing consistent effort throughout the game, right? Like seeing those responses from the people that are around the program every day tell you just how how low morale was last year. That that what they're most excited for is just to see guys trying hard this year. That's how bad this got under Bobby Petrino. And and so that's where they're at as a program, just trying to get guys on the same page to remember what it's like to play for each other and play hard throughout the whole game, all that kind of stuff. Basic competency from position group coaches, all that sort of stuff. That is like step one on the rebuilding ladder. And that's where they're at. You got to jump on that. If you're Notre Dame, you just have to, there's no excuse not to. Now, when, when they were asked, you know, what do you think the biggest strengths of this team is a few different things came out? Um, wide receiver came out, running back came out and a couple people liked the linebackers. And so I looked into it a little bit. And again, it seems like there is some speed and athleticism and talent at certain areas of this program that could cause a problem, especially if you're doing dumb stuff, if you're Notre Dame. Now, what the, the reoccurring theme with this, all the Louisville people kept saying, depth is an issue. It just doesn't seem like they have some guys with some speed and athleticism in spots, but there's no depth behind them. You know, and that's something Satterfield's gonna have to recruit to and work at. But that's not a good sign to start week one and everybody's saying you have bad depth all over. So that's an issue. But again, when when they say we have these athletic receivers, run back run, running backs and linebackers, that's that could cause a problem if you're gonna go in there and do dumb stuff if you're Notre Dame. So don't I don't want people to think there's no speed and talent and athleticism on this Louisville roster. There is, and and it, the more it's it's interesting because the more I dove into it and read about it and started looking at some of this stuff, you almost psych yourself into being Lou Holtz, where you you go into every game telling your guys that they're, they're the eighty five Bears and you have no chance, right? And then you start g- getting into that rabbit hole of really starting to freak yourself out, you know, and saying, oh man, maybe I should be worried about this and. I just can't go there and I'm not going to allow myself to go there just because of what I said before of the dichotomy of where these two programs are at right now, that it just shouldn't, it shouldn't translate on the field to be a huge issue week one unless Notre Dame does a bunch of dumb stuff. It's the only way. It's the only way I see it. And so those were kind of the strengths, were these areas where guys with raw athleticism could just kind of play to the ball, like wide receiver, running back, and linebackers. Now, when you look and they ask, what are the biggest weaknesses you see in the program? Every one of them said depth overall is an issue all over. Okay, so that tells you where they're at there. The next thing that came up, a lot of people mentioned, they said both lines are weakness. Well, both lines theoretically should be a strength for Notre Dame. So that should be a victory all night long. Take that a step further. A bunch of people listed quarterback as a weakness. Juwan Pass was 102nd in quarterback rating last year in the entire country. There's only, what, 130 teams? So that ain't good. That's not pretty. The guy played 11 games and had 8 touchdowns total. That, that's that's where we're at. Okay, bad line play, bad decision making, dumb penalties. These are all the things that plagued Louisville last year. Okay, and those are all the signs of a program spiraling down the toilet that needs a reboot, which is what they got. That being said, the kid is athletic. He is somewhat of a dual threat. He's not afraid to take off and, and run on you. Okay, so he could cause you some problems. But when I see depth as an overall problem, and I see offensive and defensive line listed as a main problem by every one of these riders, that should play right into Notre Dame's favor. If if either Notre Dame line is as good as people say they are, they should be feasting all day or all night. Okay? And so you know how I am with Notre Dame. I'm the glass half empty, worried about everything Notre Dame guy. And I'm just telling you, objectively looking at the facts, take my love for Notre Dame out of it, just looking at where these programs are, looking at the list of their concerns and and where they're thin and all these issues, this game should not be close. It just doesn't add up to that. And I think the only way it could possibly be a game is if it's Notre Dame's screwing up and then I'm going to lose my lid. I'm going to flip out. We got to be past that. This program has to be past that. Last week, I talked about the culture shift with the program and how excited I was that I see that energy, that bounce, that confidence, that swag. I see the players, you know, disciplining themselves, pushing each other for reps, trying hard at practice, all that stuff, even in the dog days of summer, working their asses off, pushing each other. Now it's time to show it off. You know, you can't beat Georgia this week, but you can show me that you have a chance to this week. And that's what I want to see. Does that make sense? You know, you, you can't beat Georgia this week, but you could show me you're capable of it by playing an efficient, good, clean game and beating the hell out of a team that has no business in the same ballpark as you this year. That is the expectation. Don't get sucked into this Notre Dame lower bar of expectations, just being happy to win by three points against a team that's a dumpster fire. So let's talk about the Notre Dame side of this for a little bit. <clears throat> and I think this is interesting. There's a lot of things to look for. And, and here's number one. Last week, Brian Kelly went back to basics, talking about his desire and the program's need to, first and foremost, run the ball, <clears throat> and secondly, be able to stop the run. Okay, so Brian Kelly, okay, that's a basic tenet of winning football for the last 150 years, and it's fine. It's a cliche, but I love it because that, that, that's how you win ball games. Everybody knows that. Come on, man. And so here's what I want to see. I hear that the weakness for Louisville is overall depth and offensive and defensive line play. And Brian Kelly's emphasis is to run the ball and stop the run. Should be a total mismatch all night then. So I want to see you smashing them on both lines. I want to see penetration on both lines. I want to see pressure. I want to see gashes for our guys to run through. That's what we need to see. So let's just start there with the basics. Before I get into specifically what I want to see out of this offensive defense and what I'm looking for, let's just start with that. We think we got a pretty good offensive line ready to take the next step. We think we have a better than average defensive line, especially at defensive ends, and we expect them to take the next step. Gotta see it. Gotta have it. Their weaknesses should be our strengths. instant mismatch should be noticeable from series one play one I want all damn night. give it to me. I want it, I need it so let's <clears throat> let's get into the the offense and get specific about what i'm looking for and what i'm going to be watching at and um <clears throat> This is going to be no secret, because if you listen to this show, you know the general themes, you know what we need to be working on. So I want to go over specifically what I'm looking for from this offense against Louisville. First off, I want to know what the offensive game plan is for Louisville. and What I mean by that is, are we going to see that explosive, more explosive passing plays down the field all over this and that? Like... Are we going to see that out of the gate right away? Or is this going to be more of a situation where Brian Kelly and Chip Long just try and pound the ball as much as possible, as early as possible, and be vanilla and just try and win with vanilla to not put a lot on tape for Georgia? Right? Like, like this is the interesting part, and it caught my attention. <clears throat> Are they going to come out and try and do that and show this new explosive offense getting the ball everywhere, all over in space, throwing a deep crossing pattern, all that stuff, and start working on that, trying to refine that, trying to define roles for that? Or is it going to be much more conservative, <clears throat> excuse me, where they think they could just run the ball and that's that's primarily what they're going to try and do till it doesn't work anymore? So that's the first thing I'm looking for, or is it going to be some reasonable hybrid in between? And so I see both ways of it. It's like, well, do you want to put all that on tape for Georgia to take a look at if you could just hand the ball off and run it for 320 yards and win the game that way? Or is it better off to practice all those passing routes and get guys game experience and Get Lawrence Keyes out there, make him moves, and do we want to go that path? So philosophically, I'm very interested to see what Brian Kelly and Chip Long's approach is going to be here. I think I'm fine with a little bit of a hybrid. Go ahead and cram the ball down their throat if they can. These guys have been practicing all this downfield and crossing pattern, all that stuff. If you you don't have to use that much of it to, to win this game easily... I'm fine with that, but I want to see some of it. And so can we run the ball at will? Will we run the ball at will? That's, that's a big question here. I just want to see philosophically how they approach week one. Or is this going to be one of those deals where Notre Dame gets the ball, comes out, and the first 12 plays are scripted passes all over the field? Right? Like they just think they have the mismatches and it's not going to be a problem and they're just going to do that. Brian Kelly's unpredictable like this. So philosophically, look early in the game to see how Notre Dame's approaching it on offense. I, If you could run the ball downhill on him and keep doing it, keep doing it. Go ahead. Love it. So that's what I want to see. Next, how's Ian Book going to look? What's Ian Book going to be asked to do week one? Okay, The last practice, I heard he was 38 of 41, and two of the misses were drops by the receivers. So it seems like Ian Book's getting dialed in for the big time here, and it seems like he's ready to go. 38 of 41 in the last practice, and two of them were drops. So I want to see what they're going to ask from Ian Book. Are they going to try and protect Ian Book, not have him run a lot, just because You should win this game handedly, so why have him take hits early in the year if it's unnecessary? I want to see that. I'm looking for wrinkles in this passing game that are new. I'm looking, you know, when they are going to pass it, I'm not sure what the game plan is, how much they're going to do it. When they do it, I want to see some new stuff. I'm sick of these five-yard out patterns to the sideline. I'm sick of these boring, throws into the flat for zero yards, and there's no blocking, and our guy gets tackled and gains a half a yard. I'm sick of that. That needs to be over and done, okay? That's a staple of the Brian Kelly passing offense at Notre Dame. A throw into the flat for zero yards, and a guy's tackled. I'm sick of that. I don't want to see that crap anymore. So I'm looking for some new wrinkles when we do throw the ball i 'm looking to see Lawrence Keys get in the mix early and often i 'm looking for every re- reliable Chris Fink and Chase Claypool to do what they we know they 're going to do. But truly, where I think this passing offense gets interesting is I mean the Lawrence Keys thing interests me just because I want to see what the kid could do, and I want him to get a chance to make plays early and build some self confidence so that 's with the receivers. And I know I don't talk about Fink and Claypool a lot, but I think that's a compliment. It's because I know what I'm going to get from them, guys, so I don't have to bring it up every week and harp on it because I know what I'm going to get. I trust them. They're leaders. They're upperclassmen. They're durable. They're reliable. So that's the only reason I don't talk about them. I already know what I have. I'd rather we spend our time here worrying about the unknowns. But I think truly where this this is all going to get interesting is how are they going to use the tight ends? We know we're hamstrung because of the Cole Comet situation. Are they going to let Tommy Tremble go down the seam and make a big play over the middle? Are we going to see some two tight end sets with Brock Wright in him or not? And I don't want him just in there to help blocking. You shouldn't need that against Louisville. I want him out there confusing defenses and making plays. I want it to be weapons, not defenders which is all they are when you put another lineman in there to chip a defensive end because you can't get it done with your regular line. So I want to see that. The other thing I want to see is Notre Dame believes these running backs are almost all of them can play in different roles and they trust them all, which is a good development. It seems like there's going to be a lot of like two back sets and have these guys Catching dump-offs, kind of like Tony Jones against USC, the big 50-yard score against that game that blew it open. These guys allegedly have great hands, great mobility, and they're supposed to be weapons in the passing game. I want to see how that is used. So so the, the tight end play and these running backs as receivers are things I'm very, very intrigued to see. How much? How much of that are you going to need or will be able to see against Louisville? I don't know. If they could just line the ball up, hand it off, and run it for seven yards of play, then don't worry about it. You know, I get that you want to practice it, but if you want to hold that back and just rely on your practices for that until you really need it, I could live with that. You want to keep Georgia thinking a little bit about what's on your tape and what you're holding back, I could live with that. So if we could go that way, I'm fine with it, okay? But where I'm going to have a problem is if I see Chip and Brian revert back to this old, boring Notre Dame passing offense, those stupid passes to the flat for nothing, throws to the sideline with no chance for any yards after the catch. Those are boring plays that are outdated in the college game. I'm sick of seeing them. So when we do pass it, I want to see something lively. I want to see something modern. I want to see something renovated. I want to see something upgraded. I want to see something exciting. I want to see them put our guys in position to make plays after the catch. That is the next step for this offense. That's what I'm looking at from the passing game. And so... A lot of these bullet points are obviously linked because we're talking about the offense, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I have Lawrence Keys capitalized and highlighted here. And, and the reason is, what a great way to get this kid used to being a starter, comfortable being a starter, and to build some confidence. I hope they give Lawrence Keys multiple chances to make big plays in this game and build some confidence as a starting receiver at Notre Dame when it wasn't expected and he's in there because of an injury. This is an increased role for the young man, and it's a great opportunity for him to prove he belongs and that he's a big-time playmaker at Notre Dame. I want Lawrence Keyes to get the chance to do that in this game. Let him make plays. Let him show off his speed and athleticism. I want to see it. I think it would just help build his confidence so much. I hope he gets a lot of targets so he can make those plays and build that confidence. I'm looking to see what Lawrence Keys can do. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he made a bunch of big plays in this game. It, it wouldn't. I just have a feeling like, like I, I don't know what it is, but I, I want to see it, and I'm excited, and I think it might be coming. So I could be totally wrong. Brian Kelly might be scared to throw it to him because he's younger. I don't know, but that's what I want to see. So moving on, you know I have this on my list, and it's offensive line play. As a unit, like we always talk about, that's what's tricky about offensive line play. Four guys can do great. One guy misses an assignment. The whole play is blown up, and it's dead, okay? I harp on this all off season and all winter and all spring and into the summer. 25% of Notre Dame's run plays last year went for zero or negative yards. That is too many. That is unacceptable. For a playoff team it's definitely unacceptable. Okay? I need to see that entire unit play better, more efficiently, less mistakes. Okay? So now you're got you got a chance against a team that has known depth issues, and the offensive line and defensive lines are a clear weakness. This offensive line needs to eat. If Ian Book's passing, he needs to have all day to do it. And if they're running, it needs to be big open gaps to run through. It's unacceptable to have a quarter of your running plays go for nothing or negative. Unacceptable. Especially for a team who has realistic goals of competing at the national level, at the top level. I need to see that whole group play more efficiently as a unit. It's time. Prove it. You finally think about this too. As much talent as there is on the defensive line for Notre Dame, that's who the offensive line is used to going up against in practice. How can that not make Notre Dame more prepared and better prepared for this game? To have to try and deal with Khalid, Kareem, and Aquara coming off the ends all spring, what a pain in the ass. That's about as good a defensive end play as you're going to have, and we've been practicing against it. So a team like this shouldn't present that big of an issue. So I need them to step up and play better as an entire unit. No weak links. Get it done. All right. That covers the offense. Let's switch over to defense. What I'm looking for from Notre Dame in this game. First and foremost, stop the damn run. Okay. Again, I I mean, it's boring to keep mentioning, but they're weak and thin at offensive line. Stop the damn run. Okay. I talked all off season about my concerns about the interior defensive line. What a great opportunity for them to gain some confidence and show that they could stop the run right up the middle here against a team that's undermanned and has offensive line as a weakness. If we don't see that in this game and there's problems and they're running the ball right up the gut, and this is supposed to be a bad offensive line we're playing and a thin one, it's red flag central. How do you think that's going to play in a few weeks down in Athens if you can't do it against this team? So I have no patience for it. Stop the damn run. Pressure. So, so that's, that's number one for me is the first thing I'm looking for is stop the run. And so, you know, that, that covers the interior defensive line that I was looking at and the line as a, as a whole, but you should be able to eat all night, all night. And so if we don't, that that's a red flag. I'm sorry. Like I said, you can't beat Georgia week one, but you can show us that you're capable of it by how you play. So I need to see them bottling up the middle. I need to see pressure all damn night. Okay? Need to see it. The other thing that I'm going to keep a close eye on is that corner position opposite Troy Pride. I talked about it all spring again. I'm going to talk about it here. It was Dante Vaughn, and he looked good and might get that job, and then he kind of got injured in camp again, can't stay healthy. And then Sean Crawford's out there making plays, but you don't know if he could stay healthy. You, you got other guys rotating in, and so I don't know what the final arrangement's going to be for that spot or what the rotation rotation's going to be for that opposite corner spot of Pride, but I'm looking at it, and I got to see whatever they run out there, whatever the rotation is, I don't care, but it's got to be decent. I don't expect it to be Julian Love or even Troy Pride, but I got to see it be doable enough that it's not a glaring weakness right away. So that's another thing I'm looking at all night is that side and that corner spot. Obviously, all eyes in Notre Dame Nation are on this linebacker situation as well. Again, this should be a soft landing for these guys, right? Like You're not getting thrown into the lion's den against Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia or even Michigan week one where a couple little mistakes can cost you the ball game. This is not that. So these guys should be able to get comfortable and adapt quickly to their new roles. So pay close attention to who comes in and out, who's in when situationally, who's coming down in run support or blitzing on run plays to cover those gaps. Pay attention when it's a passing down, who's coming in and out based on coverage. I got to see guys flying around and make plays. And again... I don't care what the rotation is. None of these guys are my kid. So I don't care who you have out there when, as long as they make plays and they're where they're supposed to be. Okay. So I have a very close eye on that and I want to see who stands out and who starts making plays. I'm looking for some leadership to emerge out of this group. I don't want to see guys running around with their heads cut off. Not knowing where they're supposed to be, not knowing their assignment. Okay, that's what practice is for. So I want to see who emerges as the leader out there. Who's getting guys lined up in the right spot? Who's calling out what's going on? I got to see some of this. And this should be the week to figure it out against a lesser opponent. The final thing I'm looking for is the Kyle Hamilton watch. I want to see this kid get to play early and often. I want to see him get his feet wet. I want to see him jump up and pick off a ball. I want to see him deflecting stuff. I want to see him running sideline to sideline. I want to see that six four frame in action. Okay? Obviously, we love what we have in, in Gilman and Elliott as the safeties. I want to see Kyle Hamilton get in on packages where he can really help on passing downs. If we are fortunate enough to get up a lot in this game, I want him to play the second half and see how he does. See if he makes rookie mistakes or if he blends right in. These are things you all got to figure out before you go to Georgia. These are all things that gotta you got to see what you have. So that covers the defense. And then obviously special teams, I told you, that's its own its, own, it's, it's in its own atmosphere of level of concern for me. Rookie punter, rookie place kicker equals disaster to me. So I got to see, can you get through week one without having some horrible mishap? Because you all know I have zero tolerance for special teams, sloppiness, and mistakes. I want to see good coverages. I want to see good protection on punt and kick return. I want to see all the kickoffs in bounds. I want to see field goals made, and I want to see reasonable punts. Is that too much to ask? I have no patience for special team sloppiness, so obviously I'm watching for that. That's not breaking news to any of you guys. You know that's a pet peeve of mine. Along with major league pitchers who can't throw strikes, this is one of the most frustrating things for me in sports. There's never an excuse to be bad on special teams. It's the most easily controllable thing in football. So so before I wrap up the Notre Dame-Louisville portion of this and get to some other general bullet points I wanted to touch on, I, I just want to recap. This is no offense meant to the Louisville program. It's just they're in a totally different spot than where Notre Dame thinks they're at. And that just slants the playing field in Notre Dame's favor, and they need to take advantage. And I expect them to. I think this team is ready, but I have to see it. You can't come out and be South Florida sloppy. You can't. You can't. And so for me, it's very, very simple. Let's say that line is 19 and a half or 20. If Notre Dame doesn't cover that spread and win by three full scores or more, I'm going to be disappointed. I don't care. Because you know what that means? Notre Dame's shooting itself in the foot. That is the only way I see them not covering, is if we self inflict ourselves with all kinds of stupid mistakes. And you just, this program needs to be too far along to have that in week one. And you got Ian Book at quarterback. I, I just, I don't see any reason that should happen. I just don't. I think the only way this game's close is if Notre Dame is stupid. That's it. And so that's what I need to see. You should cover this spread easily, in my opinion. And I want to see Phil in there running a real offense. Because not this soft, we feel bad for you, we're going to run the clock out. Notre Dame needs to get valuable snaps out of Phil and see what he has and how comfortable he is. He needs that confidence. We need to see it and the staff needs to see it. So even in garbage time, I need to see real plays. Nobody felt bad for Notre Dame rebuilding, and they beat the hell out of them. So when are we going to be the savages? It's time. It's time. All right, let's hit on a few more topics that have come up that before the season gets going, I want to cover and hopefully cover once and not have to do them again, because some of this stuff's annoying to me. So let's get into it. First off, after the show came out last week, the AP poll came out, the preseason first week AP poll. I've long said there should be no rankings until every team's played about four to six games, and not only should you then look at their their record, you should also look at who's played who, and then you should rank teams after, say, four to six weeks, not only based on just who's undefeated or whatever, but who's actually been tested yet, and not rank teams based on how good they were last year. Based on what's going on now through weeks four to six, look at who's actually challenged themselves and played real teams and reward those teams with a higher ranking. It'll all shuffle out anyways. So that's what should happen. But you know how it is. It's all about that money, baby. It's all about that money. So in order to be able to sell the ESPN commercial time, it helps when you have those little numbers next to the teams you're pumping up for that week's game. That's the only reason that there's preseason rankings, is to sell magazines, get clicks, so the commercials are more compelling to make you tune in, okay, when you see two ranked teams playing. But it's total garbage, and if you think about it philosophically, it really makes no sense. Think about it. Primarily, these rankings are, are, are based on what? How good teams were last year. But the best teams from last year, half their teams probably went to the NFL like Notre Dame's best players did. So all these teams are going to look very different anyways. So basing them, ranking them just based on how good they were last year is a fool's errand. And it's nothing but clickbait and to get a t- pump up commercials and pump up these games. That's all it is. So it's total garbage. I don't care about it. Uh, whether Notre Dame's high or low or whatever you think doesn't really matter because what happens against George is going to determine Notre Dame's ranking anyways to me. So I'm not worried about it till then. But ranking just based on how good teams were last year is like the worst way I could think to do it. Makes way more sense to wait till teams play a few games and then see what they are this year. But no, there's too much money involved, never going to happen, so I don't even bother getting upset about it one way or the other. It'll all work out. The good teams are going to rise. The teams that are overrated are going to fall. Here's the next thing. You guys all know how much I hate BSPN and what a garbage channel that's turned into. So here's what I have a problem with. Okay. And I saw this all weekend on Twitter. You guys need to stop tuning into college game day And then go to Twitter and get all mad about all the stuff they say on college game day that makes no sense and is anti-Notre Dame or whatever. It makes no sense. There is enough information out there for people to get. You don't have to just tune into game day to get your information about what games are coming up. I don't watch this garbage. Lee Corso, God bless him, should be in a senior facility. Okay, He's losing his faculties. And Desmond Coward is too much of a homer to look at anything from planet Earth. Everything is based from that biased Michigan perspective. And even then, he has trouble getting coherent thoughts out. So don't watch that stupid show. I never watch it. I'm not going to watch it again. Okay? And you know what I'll do? I'll look on Twitter for people to still shot the funny signs. Because that's the only redeeming quality of that program now. And so I could get that through Twitter. I don't need to tune in. This is not like 1992 where you get your information from one outlet. So, for all you people that were watching it and then went to Twitter about how dumb they are and how upset you are, why do that to yourself? Don't bother. I don't and you shouldn't. Especially as a Notre Dame fan. I've gone over this before. Notre Dame. Listen, ESPN does not have a big financial stake in Notre Dame. They don't have a contract with Notre Dame specifically for their games, so they don't care about them. Okay? They just don't. You want to know how far this goes? Here's how far this goes, if you want a little insight. Do you want to guess who paid For the permanent lights to be put into the big house in Ann Arbor for Michigan? Oh, John, maybe it's the boosters. No. Hey, John, maybe it's the alumni just donating. No. Hey, John, maybe the Big Ten pitched in because they wanted Michigan to have night games on TV. Nope, it's not that either. Do You know who paid for the permanent lights at the big house? ESPN footed the bill for that because they wanted night games at the big house on their channel. So you want to talk to me and wonder why things are slanted a certain way on that programming? They have a financial interest in it. So I don't mess with it. The only things you should watch on ESPN are live games that you can only get on ESPN. And even then, I recommend listening on mute. And then the 30 for 30s, because they have outside directors that that do those, and they're really good. That's it. That's the only reason to watch ESPN. So I have no sympathy for you people getting all mad about what you heard. Quit watching the garbage. Do you want an alternative? I will give you an absolutely phenomenal alternative. It's the show with Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, and Brady Quinn. Those guys are really, really good together, and I'll tell you—I believe it's a Fox, the Fox pregame show. And I'm going to tell you this: it's really, really, really kind of cool to see, as a Notre Dame fan, you see Brady Quinn up there and Matt Liner and Reggie Bush, and and you instantly have these flashbacks of the Bush push and Notre Dame USC. You know, they were all in the same. Class. So they're playing, they were playing each other and how much we hated Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart, and, and, uh, the, uh, with the Bush push and everything with the USC run and how much we all respected Brady Quinn carrying the team back then. And that offense when in a period where we had no defense, seeing the camaraderie those guys have together and the mutual respect from them all playing each other at such a high level. That show flows very well. I think all three of those guys are really good together and they're actually insightful. I, I think Matt Leiner to Reggie Bush are good on TV. Reggie Bush surprises me how good he is on TV and, and they're all good. And so if you want an alternative, go to that show and watch Brady Quinn. That's that's what I plan on doing. Um, and so... You know, I always say, you can't just bitch about stuff and not offer solutions. There's one right there. I would much rather watch that show and hear what those guys have to say. Now, I'm not done at ESPN. You, know, you should know that. I'm not done with them. I got another beef with them. So so you did this. They did this week zero thing with Florida, Miami. Um and made them play a week earlier than everybody else and all this stuff, okay, week zero, promote the hell out of it, you know, the whole ESPN PR machine stuff, okay, fine. The quality of that game's garbage and I don't think either one of those teams are really any good, I I just don't. I I just don't, I just don't. And so if you look at it as a Notre Dame fan, obviously we have the disdain we have for Miami for uh, good cause and good reason and the trash fan base they are, but if I looked at it overall, I guess I figured Miami has a much easier schedule than Florida does. And so for that reason alone, as a Notre Dame fan, you're kind of hoping, I figured I wanted Florida to beat Miami because Miami has an easy schedule in the ACC. And even though I don't believe in them, giving them a loss early helps in case they somehow get hot and start rattling off ACC wins. Because I figure Florida's going to catch a few losses in the SEC anyways. I just think they are. And I wasn't impressed with what I saw from either team. So, anyways, that game was trash, But what happened afterwards is ESPN started tweeting and bragging about these high rankings for that game and what it, you know, what look at it, the highest, you know, single ratings since this and that and all this other stuff, and they were really patting themselves on the back of what a success this was. Like, are you shitting me? Seriously, let's, let's analyze this. Let's think about it. They're patting themselves on the back, highlighting their ratings. Let's really think about this. Everybody in America is on the edge of their seat dying for football season to come back. So then you look at Saturday night, everybody's waiting for football. Okay, we're in the dog days of summer. We're not quite into playoff baseball yet, right? Like Everybody's on their edge of the seat for meaningful football. So then they bumped this game to Saturday night, and what is it going up against? It's going up against preseason NFL football, which is totally meaningless now, except for filling out the bottom of your roster with guys nobody knows or cares about. So you're going up against like the Bears game, which nobody cares about, and then nothing else. So how much credit do they want for being the only show in town? Of course it was going to do big ratings. It was the only game that mattered that was on. Duh. It's a Saturday night. Everybody's foaming at the mouth waiting for meaningful football. That was the only option. It's not like there were six games on six different channels and everybody picked that one because their production's better. They won the night because they were the only show that night. How much of a pat on the ass do you want for that? All you did was convince these ADs to move their game up a week. They didn't do anything different. They just convinced two ADs to move a game up. That's it. And they want all this credit for this high rating. You didn't do anything different. It's just a different week on the calendar. Drives me crazy. And so the the final thing I'm going to touch on here before a short but relevant, always annoyed segment is The Andrew Luck situation. Uh, I had a family party Saturday night. The Miami Florida game was on the one of the TVs at the bar, and uh, the Bears Colts were on another. But I couldn't really pay attention. Too many things going on and people to talk to and whatnot. And so, there's a lot of reaction about this Andrew Luck retiring stuff, and a lot of different opinions on it. And um, Andrew Luck is a class act. He was a class act at Stanford. He's a class act with the Colts. Andrew Luck loved the game of football. Um, he just can't do it anymore. The guy has hundred million dollars in his pocket, and unlike a lot of these football players, he's literally a genius. Like I don't say that like he's a genius. He's literally an IQ level genius. Okay, this is a guy who could go do anything he wants in life. He's he's already made a hundred million dollars. He's been injured so much, the game's no longer fun for him, and so he's retiring. We should all be so lucky, right? At the end of the day, what are you trying to do, man? Better your life, better your situation, set your family up for future success. He's looking out for him. Now, is that easy for me to say because I don't care about the Colts one way or the other? Yeah. Would it hurt if I was a diehard Colts fan who was excited to see Andrew Luck this year? Obviously, yes, that would hurt, but ultimately, the the guy was just done. He was burnt out. It wasn't fun anymore. He was sick of being in pain and being injured all the time. Is anybody going to question that he he loved the game? Look at how hard he was playing. The guy had a lacerated kidney and was peeing blood, still trying to go out there and play, and people are trying to say he's he's soft. Come on, man. The guy's been injured nonstop, nonstop. Now, was the timing on this ideal? Absolutely not. Nobody can deny that. The timing on this was not ideal. Apparently, it's something that him and Colts management have actually talked about. So they were not totally in the dark on this, and it's something that he was thinking about. So the timing on this is no doubt not ideal, okay? Right before the season, okay? Um, and so there are some people who are saying if he knows he's done and he's burnt out, he should at least get through this year to give the Colts time to process this, get Jacoby Brissett ready, or just for people to adjust their expectations and get used to the idea that this is it or whatever. Um, But... Here's where I push back on that. People are saying, you know, even if you're banged up, you should still try and give it. They'll give it one more year, whatever. Here's here's my pushback on that because I admit the timing sucks. It's it's like in a lot of ways, maybe the worst time you could drop this bomb two weeks for week and a half before the season starts. That sucks, no doubt. But the pushback on people saying he should just get through this year, then do it. My response would be. He got up there and talked about all the stuff he's gone through has kind of killed his love for the game, killed his drive for the game, made him not capable to love it the same way um, or to feel that burning desire that he used to feel, that excitement to get up and play football. And I think that if that's where you're at emotionally, I think you have to retire now. If you're not totally in it, your heart and soul isn't totally in it, this is the right thing to do. It's not the right thing to go out there and play if if that's where you're at intellectually and emotionally. If you can't give it 100% anymore because you're sick of peeing blood and being injured all the time and I, I mean, if, if you no longer have that drive, then the right thing to do is retire. I think you owe that to everybody. And you know what else is a part of this that people don't want to talk about? I think sometimes these GMs and these football front office people are intimidated by players that are smart. And I think that's a real deal. I think there's a lot of these people that like the desperate guys that just kind of follow along with the herd or the guys that they know, football's their only way to make a good living and a good life. So you're going to get them to sell out because you know that they have nothing else going for them. Andrew Luck's not in that situation. He's already got $100 million in his pocket and he's a literal genius and has an architecture degree from Stanford. He could go do whatever he wants or he could do nothing because he has $100 million in his pocket already. So I think that's a, a, a part of it too. Right, you get a guy up there like Andrew Luck, who's a genius. He's smart enough to look at the long run of his life. He's smart enough to look down the road and not want his head head to be mush, and wants to be able to play with his kids. And he's just done. He's just done, and he got up there and cried at that podium, and it was genuine, you know. And those people booing him, like uh, it's. I mean, I can understand why they're booing him, but I don't think it's the right move. I just don't. I just think it's a bad it's a bad look. It's a bad look. I mean, the guy was trying to play when he had a lacerated kidney and he was urinating blood, and now it's like, oh, he's soft. He's not even trying. Like, come on. And so that's the bottom line for me. The timing is not ideal. It's terrible timing, but... If once he said it made him not be able to enjoy and have the same drive for the game, then the right move is to retire. Your teammates deserve a guy who can totally invest himself and be immersed in this. And if you can no longer do that, you have to step away. So I give him credit for being self-aware to know that about himself, that that's where he's at. And now he could go live a, a healthier life with his family and he doesn't have money worries and he could go do whatever he does, whatever he wants to do. So that's my thought on that. And, and you know what else pissed me off about this too? Doug Gottlieb, the Notre Dame guy, okay? I, I hate to rip on a Notre Dame guy, but when you deserve it, you deserve it. He tweeted, Andrew Luck not wanting to rehab and taking the easy way out is the most millennial thing ever. Doug, I don't think somebody convicted of credit card fraud is in the position to talk to other people about taking the easy way out. Okay, I don't think you're in that position to be able to take that position when you're the one convicted of credit card theft and you want to talk about people taking the easy way out. So even as a Notre Dame guy, I got to hammer him on that because it's not right. He ain't in the position to say that. All right, you know what time it is. It's time for a socially uh, relevant and up-to-date, always annoyed. Let's talk about something going on right now that I cannot understand. Social media is going crazy over it. I don't get it. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, and it makes no damn sense. And that is this stupid Popeye's chicken, chicken sandwich. I don't understand. So let's start with this. Maybe the problem is the way I approach life. Okay? I eat to live. I don't live to eat. I think there's way too many people in this country that live to eat. Okay? Think it all day about this big meal they're going to have. I Eating is an inconvenience to me. If I didn't have to eat, I wouldn't eat. I eat because my body tells me I have to to keep going. But having to stop working to eat is an inconvenience. Having to stop golfing to get something at the turn to have in your stomach is an inconvenience. It takes time and it costs money. I don't like either. So eating's an inconvenience to me. Okay? So so you combine that as my starting position, okay, in general. And then I already did and always annoyed on my disdain for fast- food drive-through and fast-food places. There is no food in the world that could ever get me to sit in a 30-car drive-through line or a 30-person line in the store to get a stupid chicken sandwich. What is wrong with you people? What is wrong with you? It's just food. It's fast food. Do you really need a chicken sandwich that bad that you're willing to wait in an hour line at a drive through for it? If you are, you need to reevaluate your life and your priorities. I cannot understand this. Then to make matters worse, I see all these videos on Twitter and on social media of people like fighting in the line, okay? And then they get up near the front and Popeyes runs out of these stupid chicken sandwiches and then everybody loses it. They're screaming at the people at the counter because they're out of chicken sandwiches. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. I've seen videos of people screaming, waving their arms around, trashing the restaurant, screaming at the workers because they're out of a chicken sandwich. Is this seriously, with everything going on in this country, that's the priority to some of you people? A chicken sandwich? I, I, I just can't understand it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. There's no food in the world I'm willing to wait and deal with this bullshit for. Never. Never. And you know who the real losers in this are? Are the poor people making minimum wage working the register at Popeye's Chicken. Seriously. Like, these people didn't sign up for this. They just wanted to make their minimum wage doing their boring job at the register or a a cook at a fast food place. And now they got to deal with 80 car lines to get a chicken sandwich and people screaming at them because they ran out? These people didn't sign up for that. And so this is just a phenomenon that I can't understand. I don't get it. I don't don't see how it could ever be worth the aggravation and the time to wait in one of these lines just to get a chunk of chicken. Like I just can't, I don't live in that world. I can't ever see a scenario where I could do that unless somebody was paying me a bunch of money to do it. I just can't. And so I just think people need to reevaluate their priorities. There is no chicken sandwich in the world worth waiting 45 minutes in line for, And God forbid they're out of it. You have to scream at the, the the person taking your money. Come on. This is seriously what we're doing with all the social problems we have going on now. This is one of them. I don't understand it. I just think it's a disgusting revelation of where a big chunk of the population's at right now I can't understand it I hate it it's annoying I I just I I eat to live I don't live to eat so maybe I'm just out of the loop and I don't get it but it makes no sense to me it's totally annoying it's absurd it's over the top reevaluate your priorities okay that's gonna be it for the show this week I Like I said about the game, better cover, it needs to be at least 21 points or more is what I'm expecting. Anything less, I don't care what the circumstances are, we're going to have problems, and this show's not going to be pretty next week. If you are where you think you are and you think you can compete at the top level, this needs to be somewhat of a blowout early and often. Bottom line, end of the story, I don't want to hear any excuses. You got two programs at opposite ends of the spectrum. This is just what it needs to be. Anything short, we're going to have problems going to make for an entertaining show, but we're going to have problems. So I hope to God we have some good, positive things to review after this game next week. I really do, and I I think we will, but we just have to wait and see. Talk is all good, but I got to see it play out. And as we leave, since I'm in a good mood because the season's here, extra special swag pack for free going out to the first listener who identifies the original song that I'm going to play, what it's from, the original version, not the guitar cover. My brother doesn't count because he knows the song from us growing up, but the first listener who either you, on YouTube puts it in the comments or tweets me the original artist and song name of this guitar cover gets a free swag pack with some new stuff in it. So hit me up.